Sundays we've been talking about Jesus' teaching on a radically new way of living, on, on uh, the reality of, of another kingdom. Not the kingdom of this world, but another kingdom. As, as we've talked about, there's a kingdom um, that's coming. There's a kingdom that's coming when Jesus comes and rules the earth. But there's also a kingdom that's here right now. That kingdom is invisible. That kingdom is in the midst of other kingdoms. And yet it is the only unshakable, enduring kingdom. We're part of that kingdom. The Bible says in, in Colossians that we were rescued from the domain of darkness and we were transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. So that kingdom is right now. And that kingdom, as Jesus said, as he walked from village to village, he said, repent and believe the gospel because the kingdom of heaven is near you right now. It's here. Wherever the kingdom of God went, things changed. Wherever Jesus went, wherever his disciples were sent, things changed. Demon-possessed people were delivered. Uh, uh, sick people were healed. Dead people were raised. Lepers were cleansed. People received something they didn't have before. So in that, in that vein, in that light, a few years ago, it's quite a few years ago now, um, we, we did a, a full study through the book of Acts, and we're going to do it again. And uh, we're going to get some fresh things out of it. And it's been a long time. Most of you weren't here when we did that. Some of you that were, it's always good to refresh that and get it new on the inside of you. Because the book of Acts is, is so unique because it's our first glimpse of the church um, that Jesus uh, initiated and, and, and sent out his apostles to, to, to start something. And, and that church was built on the foundation of, of what he had taught them, the foundation of what they were sent to do. But it was built on the foundation of all these believers being given the Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit not just living around us or, or being over us, but the Holy Spirit being in us and moving through us. And uh, so I like it because there's a lot of, uh, of good doctrine all throughout the New Testament where we can, we can learn and we can say, I wonder what this means or I, I wonder... Let, let's study out what exactly this is supposed to look like. The book of Acts gives us a picture of what a lot of this looks like. Now, we're not living in the exact same days. This was the beginning. And yet, the same Holy Spirit which was in Paul, the same Holy Spirit that was in Philip when he went to Samaria, the same Holy Spirit that was in these guys is the same Holy Spirit that lives in you. I believe that I, I, I've searched and searched and cannot find one scripture in the New Testament that straight out says there'll be a day between now and the day when Jesus comes back. There'll be a day when I just stop healing people. There'll be a day when I just stop doing these things. The scripture just doesn't say it. You have to make up your own scriptures to make that work. It doesn't say it. There's one verse in 1 Corinthians 13 that says when the perfect comes, when we're perfect. Is anybody perfect tonight? No, when we're perfect, then we won't need prophecy, we won't need tongues. Because it says we will see him face to face and we will know just as we're known. So why aren't you going to need prophecy when Jesus comes back and, and, you're, and you know, we, we receive our glorified bodies and, and we're, you know, we're, we're, we're perfected and we know as we're known. Why aren't you going to need prophecy? Because you won't have these unknowns. You'll know as you're known. Why aren't you going to need tongues? Because you will, we will, you, you will be already in the perfect will of God. But now in this period of time, these things have not ceased. The scripture gives them no room to cease. 
It says this is the time right now. The, uh, the apostle Joel, or sorry, the prophet Joel prophesied that in the last days, he says, I, he just talked about all these signs he would do. And he said, before, before those days, he said, I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. He said, your sons, your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will uh, see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. When Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, he says, that's, that's this right now. What Joel prophesied, that's what you're seeing right now. So you might say, okay, so it already happened. It's already done. No. What happened was, on the day of Pentecost, Peter's saying, it starts right now. This is what he said. Because the Bible says in that prophecy that we're referring to, it says this will happen until the great and notable day of the Lord. That day hasn't got here yet. We're still waiting on that day. So there's a period of time from the day of Pentecost to the day when Jesus returns where we are in this age where things are going to be dramatically different, where the Holy Spirit is among us, where, where he's doing these things, these, these great signs and wonders through his people. And it's a wonderful thing, and we've seen many of these things before your very eyes. But we're going to read from the book of Acts. We're going to get inspired about what church can and should look like. It won't look exactly like it does in the book of Acts because we're in a different culture, we're in a different time, and yet the same spirit dwells in us. And so there's some constants that are going to, to remain. So let's start in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 1, he says, The first account I composed, Theophilus. Now, anybody know who Theophilus was? Anybody got a theory? Not really. Friend of God is what Theophilus literally means in the Greek language. Um, and so you go, who's this guy? There's different theories on who Theophilus was. Most likely, it's not anybody's real name. Most likely, it's a title. The fact that he says most excellent Theophilus might lead us to believe that he's, a, he's an important government official. Because elsewhere, the only other places in the Bible where you see that, that excellent term used, it's when they're referring to governors or, you know, Roman uh, people in authority. It was, it was a term of respect um, for people in Roman government. So there's a chance that this guy might have been somebody that was pretty important in the Roman government. Luke didn't want to rat him out because the Christians were being persecuted when this letter was written. So he might have used the pseudonym of Theophilus, friend of God. Or it could have just been addressed to a bunch of people and said, I'm addressing it to a bunch of people. We're going to call you all friend of God. Or some people say it could have been, it was, it was a, a, a Jewish priest, somebody that was uh, pretty important in, in, in the Jewish faith, and, and once again, Theophilus was used. Either way, the story remains the same. But notice that he says, the first account I composed Theophilus. What was the first account that we're talking about right now? It's the book of... So if Acts is the second account, what's the first one? Anybody know? The first book that Luke wrote. Yeah, Luke. <laughs> you guys just are so convinced I'm going to trick you that you can't possibly go, what book did Luke write? Can't be Luke. It's too easy. I blame the public school system for this because they tricked you on multiple choice tests so you don't trust anybody anymore. Well, I'm going to come straight at you. I'm not going to be tricky. I'm not going to try to stump you or embarrass you. The first book Luke wrote was called Luke, right? Luke didn't call it Luke. We call it Luke. It was just a letter. Do you title your letters? You write a letter to somebody. I'm going to call this one Jonathan. I'm going to call this one 
the, uh, the, you know, the great and notable letter of Jonathan. You know, you don't title your letters. So when he sent this letter, he just sent the letter. We've titled it Luke because it was written by Luke. We've titled it Acts. He didn't call it Acts. We call it that because the, the, the way the, the church called it years ago, they referred to it as the Acts of the Apostles. Although in the book of Acts, we see people that aren't apostles doing miracles as well. Philip's a great example. Anyways, let's move on. So the first account, he says, is the book of Luke. So you've read the book of Luke, hopefully. You've at least glanced at it. I'm sure most of you have read it a few times. The book of Luke is the story of Jesus. The author of this book, is Luke, is the physician that traveled with Paul through many of his journeys. In fact, if you read the last letter that Paul wrote, one of the last things he ever wrote was that everybody had left him except for Luke. Luke stuck with him. Luke was a doctor, a physician, but he was also a historian. And as he writes the book of Luke and the book of Acts, he does not write it as a, a starry-eyed kid. He, the Holy Spirit used him as a historian to write it as accurately with eyewitness accounts. Um, you know, some of the other gospels were written by the people or, or dictated to people from those that that saw it firsthand. Luke went and interviewed witnesses. Luke went and he, he found the eyewitness accounts and he brought together a history. He, you often see him uh, look like a real historian because as he's writing the history of Jesus and the history of the early church, he uses markers that people can understand. So when Jesus is born, he, you, you'll notice when you read the Christmas story, he's talking about in this year of Caesar Augustus and in this year that this guy was governor, Quirinius was governor. And this year, you know, he, he tells you when he's talking about so that you can set up a timeline for when it's all happening. So Luke was very accurate in what he, what he recorded. But what's interesting here is he, he has a two-volume account. And he says the first account... Theophilus, I composed, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. What catches me about this little statement is something that you might have missed is that he says the first account, I talked about all the things that Jesus began to do until he was taken up to heaven. Now think about that. He says, all the things that Jesus began to do until he was taken up to heaven. Now, he's saying that those years that Jesus was walking the earth was the beginning of his work on the earth. So, what's this next book going to be about that he's writing right now, this letter? It's about the rest that Jesus continued to do through the church. Jesus began something he, when he was on the cross, he said, it is finished because that was the work. That, that old covenant was put to the, that, that a law of sin and death was put to death. And, and a new covenant was, was initiated through his death and resurrection. But the ministry of Jesus Christ was the beginning of something. And he continued to do it through the church, which is exciting because it means that Jesus' work is still going on today. Jesus isn't finished Jesus is not a historical figure. He's alive today. We're not talking about some nice guy who lived 2,000 years ago. We are talking about a risen Lord and Savior who still lives and still makes intercession for us, who still wants you to have a relationship with God through him. Thank God. So here's what it says. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering. 
by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you've heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. If you were to ask Sister Tina what the word baptize, what word it comes from in the Greek language that we see in the Bible here, it's not a word that means just to be lightly sprinkled, although I understand that, that some of you might understand it that way, but, but when we're talking about it here, it means to literally to dunk, to immerse. So think about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's not a sprinkling of the Spirit. It's not just a touch of the Holy Spirit. It's being dunked in the Holy Spirit. It's being immersed in Him. There's not a part of you that's not covered in the Holy Spirit. That's not filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, for John baptized with water, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And he says, so it says, when they come together, when they come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? Because he'd been talking about the kingdom for quite some time. And he says, so now, I mean, we we thought it was going to happen before. Then they dragged you off. You were crucified. Then you got up from the dead. So now, now do we get our kingdom? Now are you going to march in, kick the the Caesar's door open, grab him and say, you're out of here. I'm the new king. Is this what's going to happen? Because we've been waiting for this. Guys like Simon the Zealot who got the nickname Zealot because he hung out with the Zealots who were a revolutionary, some might call terrorist group, who were, who were convinced that they needed to overthrow the Roman government. I'm sure guys like him are just itching for this to happen. Come on, Jesus. I've seen you just appear in the middle of the room. They don't have a chance now. We've been asking you to call down fire on villages, and you said, no, 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 no. But now we get to do that, right? Let's just march in the seven hills of Rome. We'll see this happen. And he goes, it's not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. So we're going to come back to that in a moment, but let's go a little bit further up to where we started and just think about what he's talking about here. They've, they've been through a rocky experience. They've been through a roller coaster of emotions. They've been, I mean, you think about it. Sometimes we see them, you know, ask that question, you know, is this when the kingdom's going to come? And you think, guys, come on. You know that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about an, an eternal, invisible kingdom that starts. And then there'll be a kingdom to come. And we act like they should have known all that. But put yourself in their shoes. There's a lot they didn't understand yet. But if you were them, you're in the city right now. You're standing in, you're, well, you're very close. They were on the Mount of Olives. But they're very close to the city, Jerusalem which crucified Jesus, which made them all wanted men. These were guys that were convinced that Jesus was going to go in, like I said, and take over. Then he gives himself up to be crucified. Guys like Peter said, this is the moment. When they came to arrest Jesus, he says, this is the moment we go out big, guys. And he he tries his best helmet chop, and he misses, cuts the guy's ear off. You know, great move, Peter. That'll, That'll knock him dead. 
a bunch of one-eared Romans now, you know. It wasn't even a Roman. It was a, one of the high priest's guard. Peter says, now, here's the moment. We're ready. And Jesus sticks the ear back on the guy's head and said, that's not how it's going to happen. Gives himself up to die. And when Jesus gave himself up to die, they were shaken to the core. Scripture says most of them ran. When they started arresting people, most of the disciples ran out of the garden. One of the disciples, we don't find out exactly who because that's one of those times where you just don't name names. He runs out so fast that they catch him by the cloak and he just keeps running right out of his clothes, butt naked out of the garden, terrified. Peter and John slip in to the, uh, they slip into the trial of Jesus that's illegally being held in the middle of the night. They slip in and they see if they can see Jesus without being identified. Peter gets asked three times by different people if he's associated with Jesus because he's got that Galilean accent, which to them is the hick accent. He's a redneck from Galilee. I, you're not from here. He doesn't have the sophisticated Jerusalem accent. He's got the hillbilly Galilee accent. You must be one of Jesus' boys. He denies it so many times that he and eventually just curses out a girl. And Jesus had told him that would happen. The third time that he does it, Jesus looks right at him. The rooster crows. Peter knows what he's done. Peter, the boldest of them all, you see how scared he was. It says that when Jesus was resurrected, all the men, the tough guys, were all in hiding, and the doors were locked. Do you know who were the first people to come and see Jesus was risen, come and see an empty tomb? It was the women. The women had the guts. The men were locked up inside. But then the men still had their pride. So when the women come back and go, he's not there, he's risen, they go, we got to check that out for ourselves. <laughs> Girls get all excited. Who knows what they think they saw? Let's go check it out. You know, once Jesus was put to death, it wasn't like these guys were suddenly okay in Jerusalem. They were still wanted. They were still people that were not welcome in this city. This was the city that crucified Jesus. And Jesus says to them, stay here. Come on, really? Stay here in this city. I mean, I'm sure they thought, you know, as soon as we can get back to Galilee, I'd love to get back home where people liked us. He says, stay here because the promise that he made he was going to keep, and he was going to keep it in the city where he was crucified. He was going to keep it in the city that rejected him. He was going to keep it using these people that were chickens, but he says this, that you will receive power. You notice that it's the same sentence where he tells them the kingdom you're thinking about is not happening right now, and it's not up to you to know when it is. Those aren't two different sentences. He says, it's not for you to know the times and epochs that God has determined by his own authority, but... In other words, these two are related in some way, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. In other words, there is a kingdom that is amongst you, and that authority, that power of the kingdom will come on you when you receive the Holy Spirit. He says, stay and wait for it. 
Because it's the promise of the Father and it's for you. That's why God chose, well, he chose Jerusalem for so many reasons. First of all, he came first to these people. He came first to the Jews and Jerusalem was the city. He came first to them. They, most of them rejected him. And yet they were the first to hear the gospel. They were the first to hear that good news preached after he was resurrected, that you crucified Jesus, but he's alive today. But you took all of these cowardly, scared, nervous disciples, and like I said, we blame them for that, but would we be that much different? Because you're trying to figure out, constantly trying to figure out how this is going to happen. And sometimes we read back and we say, well, Jesus told them it was going to happen that way. He said, you know, in three days I'll rise. He says, son of man must be, excuse me, <coughs> son of man must, must die, must give his life. But in three days I'm getting up. And it seems so obvious to us that that's, that's what he did. I mean, why didn't you believe him? But there are several things in the Gospels that he says to them. And it says they did not yet understand it because they had not received the Holy Spirit. There were things they didn't understand until they had the Holy Spirit. There were things they couldn't understand. And you've got to remember, Jesus spoke in parables all the time. How many times did they think, is he being literal? Is he being metaphorical? What are we talking about here? And so they feel like they've been on a roller coaster, I mean, a ride all over the place. And now Jesus is saying, don't run back home. Don't hide. He spent 40 days with them, and it's been a weird 40 days. One time he just appears in the middle of the room. And lest you think they were seeing a vision, he says, here, touch my hands. Put your, hand, put your finger through the hole in my hands to show them he wasn't just a spirit. He was flesh and bone. He says, here, touch my hands, touch my feet. Another time, you know, he's got moments like that. Another time, he just, you know, they're fishing. They get back. He's on the beach cooking them fish for breakfast. Can you guys think how weird that would be? I mean, I'm, you're trying to get my head around what you're doing, Jesus. You've been resurrected. Seems like this is an important period of time. You're showing up, letting us feel your scars and your marks, and, and then other times you're just on the beach cooking fish. I mean, <laughs> what are we supposed to expect? And then he says, gather up, guys. I'm about to go. Go where? I'm about to go to my father. How? What they don't know is in a minute he's going to go through the clouds. And they get, they get chastised. They get, the, the angels get on to them. I mean, I, the angels say these things and just, just, I mean, sometimes I think the, angel, the way the angels look at us like, you guys haven't figured it out yet? <laughs> says, says when they came to the tomb and there's an empty tomb, the angels go, why are you seeking the living among the dead? Because the last time we saw him, he was here. He was dead. The angels are just like, why are you looking for him here? This is a graveyard, guys. <laughs> He's alive. He wouldn't be here. And then, and then Jesus does not metaphorically go, go up. He literally goes up. I mean, they see the bottoms of his feet. And they're looking at the cloud. Wouldn't you? And they're looking at the cloud. And it doesn't say how long they were there looking at the clouds. But it says the angels go back as they were gazing intently in the sky. You know what intently is a nice way of saying? They were just like, you know, staring. You know, they were, I mean, nobody blink because we might miss something. As they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. 
They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? Why do you think we're looking into the sky? <laughs> Jesus just went, oh, don't blame me for that. Wouldn't you all look at the sky? I mean, what are you going to do? Just say, oh, pretend you're not seeing this. Why do you guys look at the sky? This Jesus who's been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you've watched him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. So the angels say, while you're looking at the sky, he'll come back just like he, he, he went, just like he left. He'll, that's the same way he'll come back. And Jesus did tell us, and it says it again throughout the New Testament, through the letters of Paul, through Peter's letters, that he will come just as he, just as he left, so he will come and we'll meet him in the clouds, the scripture says. That'd be wonderful, won't it? But you take a ragtag group of disciples who thought for the rest of their life they'd get to follow this man around and they'd get to see the kingdom come. And the people that were supposed to receive Jesus reject him. And he tells them right now is not the time for the kingdom you're thinking about, but right now is a time for a different type of kingdom. He says, you will receive power and you know that they needed it. Who needed power more than these guys? They've been shaken up. They've been freaked out. They've been threatened. And they are told to stay in the city that wants to kill them more than any other city. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Both here in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. What a powerful command. We've always got to remember that the, the uh, command to go and preach the gospel, the command to go and be his witnesses, was never separated from the promise of the power and the authority given to them to do it. When, when we talk about the Great Commission, everybody knows what the Great Commission is, right? Some of you might have it in a nice cross-stitch thing above your bed. But the Great Commission says, go therefore in all the world and preach the gospel in all creation. And we say that's the Great Commission. But you know, when he says, go therefore, you know that you're missing something because that usually means it's a statement that's connected to a previous statement. Therefore says, I just said something that's tied with this. What did he say right before that? He said, all authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. And here he says, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. The authority of Jesus Christ, that he walked around, you know, and, and we talked about this on Sunday, but when he walked around, it says the people marveled at his teaching because he taught with authority, not like their teachers and scribes. This guy had authority to back it up. And they said even the demons listened to this guy. Even the waves listened to this guy. Then he says to the disciples, he says, the things that I do, the works that I do, which we can all admit are pretty big. He says, greater works than these will you do because I'm going to my Father and I'm sending my Holy Spirit back to you and you'll do even bigger things than I did. And so when we hear that commission to go, to witness, we often feel like these guys and we go, I don't want to, people don't like that, I want to, I just want, I just, that's not me. And you look at these early disciples as supermen. 
Just people that were, that were just powerful movers and shakers. But you know their beginnings. When Jesus huddled them together, they were all freaked out, nervous, and scared. And he said, don't worry. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then you'll be my witnesses. Because you can't be my witnesses until you have that power. You can't go into all the world until there's been some authority given to you to go. And that same authority that was given to them, you say, well, I'm not one of the 12. I'm not an apostle. I'm not this. You've got to know that as much as he sent them the scripture, and we can, we can go through several scriptures in the New Testament where he says the same to you, to go. Go and preach the gospel. Go and cast out evil spirits. Go see the sick healed. Go see the dead raised. Go see the blind eyes open. You can't separate the going from the authority when you go. We talk about what kind of authority do I have? When a policeman, when a policeman points at your car, have you ever had that moment where there's somebody already pulled over and then the policeman looks at you and goes, you ever seen that and you thought you were okay because somebody else took the blame? But this guy's ambitious. And he's going to pull multiple cars over? You, here. You, here. Do you think that he has power in his hand to stop your car? (laughs) (laughs) Honey, my steering wheel's not working. Ah! I'm not even pressing the brakes. No. He's got authority that you have to listen to, not because he's such a strong guy and you're worried that he'll beat you up, The authority that he has is because there's authority that he's under. He's submitted to another type of authority. And really the authority that you obey in that guy, you're obeying a higher authority. What's behind the badge, what's behind his authority is the authority of the RCMP, which is the authority of the Canadian government. And you say, that's enough to get me to pull over. Now, if you think of the authority of the Canadian government, how much higher is the authority of heaven? And we minimize and, and we, we, we dance around in this false humility saying, I, I, I don't have any, I don't need any authority. The truth is, the authority is not of you, it's of God. And when he sends you to go and he says things like, submit yourself to God, resist the devil and he will flee. Why is the devil running away from you? Because you're just such a, you're just, you're just so tough. You're so big. You're so scary. The devil is running, fleeing from a believer because that believer is submitted to God. And because when he's submitted to God, he is under authority and he carries authority. And that authority is what we've been sent out to. When Jesus said go, he empowered them to go. He enabled them to go. And they had a power on the inside of them. They were cowards. They were wimps. They were nervous. They were scared. They had no education. But when they went into these cities, they preached with boldness. They had wisdom that they didn't have before. Miracles followed them. Why? Because he gave them the authority of his name. And his name is above every name. That Holy Spirit that filled them empowered them. The scripture says to us over and over, be filled with the Spirit of God. We'll read as we read through the book of Acts, 
about the first infilling of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. But you'll also read in Acts chapter 4 that there was a moment where they became afraid again because they were being greatly persecuted. They got together, they prayed, and the, Lord, the Bible says the place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So there's a difference between the initial receiving the Holy Spirit, being baptized in the Holy Spirit. There's a difference between that and being filled. If everybody in that room was already filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, why'd they have to get filled in Acts chapter 4? Because it's not a matter of just having the Holy Spirit. It's a matter of being filled with the Spirit. So there'll be times in our lives, guys, where you were I know many of us can say when you first received Jesus, you were greatly bold. You wanted, you wanted to tell everybody about it. There's nobody that could tell you, tell you, walk away, I don't want to hear that. There's nobody that could say, I, don't, I, don't want, I just don't want to listen to that right now. There was a period of time where you let it slide, you got busy, you didn't do that stuff as much anymore. And you find that now it's harder to go up to somebody. It's harder to find the guts to do it. It's harder to find the courage to do it. Perhaps... You need to once again get full of the Holy Spirit. How does that happen? Well, all we've got to go on is the Bible. And all they did was ask. When they asked, he filled. Jesus said about the receiving of the Holy Spirit, the initial receiving, he said, which one of you fathers, if your child asks you for bread, you'd give him a stone. If your kid asked you for a fish, would you give him a serpent? And they are saying, no, of course not. He says, and you are bad fathers compared to God. He said, if you're going to do, if, you're not, if you wouldn't do that for your kid, how much more will the father, when you ask for the Holy Spirit, freely give it to you? And he told that to his disciples, and he's saying that to us too. When we got born again, we received of his spirit. There's something to be said of being full of that spirit. What is the result? If we're going to look at the scripture, what's the result of being full of the spirit? you will receive power. It's an empowering, it's enabling you to live righteously. It's an enabling you to, to be a witness for Jesus. It's empowering you to walk in his footsteps. It's empowering you to obey his will. It's empowering you to be a light in a dark place. It's empowering you to see the signs and wonders follow the preaching of the word. It's empowering you to be a disciple of Jesus. Thank God that Jesus began this good work that is documented in the Gospels, but that that work continued through the church. I want to read you something as we close. Many of you, some of you might even have this memorized, but I want to read it to you from the book of Ephesians. Before we wrap it up, let's just read this because I think this is something that reminds us of what God did and is continuing to do through his church, which you're a part of. It says in verse 13 of chapter 1, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason too, I too, Having heard of your faith, of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. And here's what he prays for them. 
He says, here's what I'm praying for you. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? What is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. What we're reading about is the beginning of his church. And his church is not a wimpy church. His church is full of him. And it should be full of his power. Because it says that great working of the power was toward us who believe. And it says that he is above all things. Everything that's got a name is under his feet. And he is the head of the body, which is the church. It says, it gave him as a head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. I want you to hear that again. His body is the fullness of him who fills all in all. If the church is the fullness of Christ, if he is the head and we are his body and the body is the fullness of him, is there anything that he has held back? Is there anything left in the reserves? Is there anything that he hasn't poured out? The church is the fullness of Christ. The church is the expression of Christ to this world. And I'm going to tell you what the scripture says. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. If he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, when you read this and your eyes light up and your spirit gets up, don't let somebody talk you out of the fact that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't let religion grind you down till all this is and it's an academic textbook which has no effect on your real life. Let him fill you so that you begin to believe again that we are not just ordinary people with a ticket to heaven. You're a group of people that have been given the same spirit which was in Jesus as he walked the earth. That should count for something. That should mean something. Is it proud to say that? Is it arrogant to say that? It better not be. It's the most humble thing you can say because true humility says, in myself I've got nothing. But through him all things are possible. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And I believe that God has called us to be a group of people that actually believe it. When I say us, I mean the church. I don't mean this group. I mean the body of Christ as a whole. He's called us to believe the word. It takes great stepping out in faith to believe these kind of things. Sometimes you have to battle with your own mind and you say, well, you know, what about this and what about that? What about this time my grandma, she said, you know, and this and, and what about this guy? He said he did this. What we're asking you to do is to believe the word of Jesus himself. When you can't believe anyone else, 
You can't base doctrine, you can't base theology on the experience of man. It's just a, it's a flawed concept because you don't see everything God sees. We have not experienced everything that, he is, that, that is to be experienced. You just can't base all your doctrine on what people have experienced. But if you'd like some experience, let me tell you, I've seen blind eyes open. You've seen lame people walk. And I believe that greater works than these we will do because the Holy Spirit's been given to us. You will receive power. God's going to take a bunch of cowards and make them bold. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. If he could do it for these guys who locked themselves in their own houses, who were too afraid. They were afraid to go to Jerusalem before Jesus was crucified. How much more once he was crucified. But if God could use those men, turn them into mighty men, what can God do with you? It's not about how able you are. It's about how able our God is. Amen. Could you stand up with me? Let's pray. God, thank you. Lord, we, uh, we're more than aware of our own limitations. We're more than aware of our own shortcomings. And yet, Lord, we are becoming more and more aware of how limitless you are and how great you are. And those limitations that we brought to you, they don't look so big when in the light of who you are. Lord, we realize now we are in Christ. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. We thank you for the gift, the promise of your Holy Spirit. It's our seal. It's our pledge of redemption. It's our seal of adoption. We thank you for giving us the Spirit. Lord, we ask, just as we sang earlier tonight, that you would fill us up. That you would fill us up. That Christ himself would be formed in us. Lord, I know that we're, we all want to be witnesses for you. We all want to go out and tell the good news. But there are times when we don't feel like we have the power, the, the, the guts, the authority to do it. Lord, I'm asking you right now that you would renew our mind according to your word. That we would be able to say, if God is with me, if God is for me, who do I have to be afraid of? If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me, what is there to make me afraid? What is there to make me nervous? I'm not shy if I've got the greater one living in me. That shyness must give way to your boldness. We thank you for it, Lord. We commit our lives to you. We won't sit back hiding in, hiding in our own space, hoping that time will just pass us by until we get to go see you in glory. Instead, Use us here and now in this earth as you prayed, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys.